Welcome back to the Pilgrim Faith Podcast, where human wonder fuels the quest for Christian wisdom. It's been a couple of weeks since uh, Dale and I have had the opportunity to get together and produce another one of these conversations, and we're excited today to talk about this one. This is a a topic Dale and I talk about frequently in private, I think, uh, partially because we're, you know, we are two observers, I think, of contemporary kind of uh, uh, sort of cultural theology rhetoric. You know, we spend a decent bit of time on Facebook making the blog circuit and the Twitter circuit and just sort of seeing what appeals people make, what kinds of what mm. kinds of rhetorical themes stand out in their in their you know frequent you know kind of mass appeal, if you will. And one thing that's you know, I think comes from a lot of quarters. And so, you know, we don't have any, or at least I don't have anybody, I can't speak for Dale, he judges people, but I don't have anybody, I don't have anybody in mind, because I'm a good Christian. Uh, 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 But I actually, really, that's a way of saying I have a bunch of people in mind. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, it's this appeal to courage, you know, in our in our context, uh, and it's worth just starting a bit, you know, in, in conservative circles, there's a lot of appeal to the, the, the need of our cultural moment for courageous men, you know, men who can deal with discomfort, men who have skin in the game, who can bear the cost and encourage their families and their communities to bear the cost of, of standing firm with their convictions and, 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 and being invested in a life project that is uh, that is that is valuable to them, that sort of thing. Um, but one of the, and actually before we even make a qualification, it's worth saying, of course, that that felt need is totally correct. We do live in a time with a great need for courage. We do live in a time where, where Christians in some ways are increasingly, whether, you know, even if we don't need to be overly dramatic about it, at least in a sort of uh, a social respect way, uh, have to be prepared for a kind of social martyrdom. Uh, if you're not prepared for that, you're not prepared to live in the 21st century in this particular moment. You do need to be prepared for that and develop the virtues uh, that, that can help you endure within that and be resilient within that. And courage is most certainly one of those virtues. Uh, in the first century is our, in a sense, our example, a Christian in a context mm. not unlike ours, uh, you know, that was needed in the first century for Christians to endure. Uh, but the first century, I think, teaches us more than one lesson, and that's part of what Dale and I want to get at today. Um, it, it's worth recalling that in the first century, there, there was a, a bunch of martyrdom. There was a lot of courageous Christians, but there was also a great temptation in the church in the first century to a kind of reckless martyrdom. Uh, mm. Certain kinds of personalities, certain kinds of persons uh, were driven toward kind of uh, inserting themselves into the martyr script in an overly direct rather than a a providentially indirect route. Uh, And that that says something. And I think it's worth in our moment when we do need courage, you know, know, there's a lot of people saying things like, you know, men were made for a time such as this. And I think that's true. (laughs) I think there's a whole lot of truth in that. Uh, Nevertheless, this is also a time when men, especially men who who feel a, a, a deep need 
for for the affirmation of themselves precisely as men, which is hashtag every man <laughs> who feels that need for that affirmation, uh, is resentful of the perceived slight to that affirmation. It's you know that sort of thing, sort of in the culture at large, uh, and then can kind of uh, gain self-respect in this kind of like performative retrogression, you know, where mm -hmm. I enter into this kind of super. Uh, 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 just sort of super superhero martyr sort of character uh, uh, that is overly directly looking for opportunities for for a kind of martyr conflict with an almost a sort of like inverted spiritual bloodlust uh, mm. <laughs> that sort of thing and it's worth saying just out loud I think um, men and especially men in conservative contexts with legitimately biblical concerns about all of these things are inevitably going to be extremely tempted in precisely this way as our brothers and sisters were in the first century. And, it, and it's worth kind of, I think, talking them through, I guess, just discerning, you know, you know dis discerning the difference between courage that really is rooted in this and courage that, uh, is really misguided and really isn't courage at all. It's actually a kind of, you know, cowardice, really. Yeah, I think that's right. And I'm glad that you, because we are, we are dealing with a host of cultural issues that are hard to think through and tricky to navigate. And I think that the <clears throat> approach that simplifies everything, that reduces everything down to a certain movement against what we're dealing with as the church in modernity um, that just says courage unqualified and really what that reverberates in the circles uh, of well, particularly reformed conservative um, Christians is, uh, uh, well, that means pick up your sword and begin swinging and then don't stop until every last enemy is dead. Uh, because they're trying to take from us something that we love and we can't go down like that. That's the way cowards go down. Um, and then you really do have uh, cowards <laughs> in the church that just fail to live up to the biblical calling that men are given, um, which is to promote and propagate the Christian tradition through every square inch of reality uh, and do so with unflinching convictions in the face of overwhelming uh, opposition. Um, so we are really talking about two ditches. And I think that uh, if we look at the New Testament and we, we, we try to hear the, the archetypal voice, so to speak, mm. of the narrative of what uh, God is calling us to um, in the person and work of Jesus Christ and the testimony of the apostles, how can we sort of bring that down and embody that and live in light of that? Because uh, Jesus was a masculine man, and Paul was a masculine man, and they did not um, they did not abdicate their responsibilities to live up to the virtue of courage. But I think that when we start to examine the New Testament evidence on this question, what it will boil down to after we move all of the branches out of the way is love. Uh, love must be the core. Uh, from which you move. It must be the center mm. of what you believe. And so, you know, the question is, well, what is love? And I think that love is um, 
moving towards others for the sake of their own good at your personal peril. So I'm going to do for others simply because that is the correct thing to do, even if that costs me something. So it's the opposite of selfishness, right? Like love does not seek its own way. And so um, it's very hard to, um, it's very hard to think carefully about the motivations of your heart because we can deceive ourselves mm. about what our true motivations are. Um, but I think if we're honest with ourselves, we will always find that we do not love. <laughs> we do not love God. We do not love neighbor. And when we recognize we're in a spot that is not doing the, and we're coming from a position that is not motivated by love, then we repent. And uh, we, we have the privilege of repenting. And then we ask God for the help that we need in order to live a life of piety mm. and virtue. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's, you know, just opening up the conversation, I really do think we need to just first recognize that love needs to be the motivating force rather than, as you said, resentment. So yeah, I think, and that really is the alternative, the alternative to love. And I, I think this is just clear in <laughs> observing humans. The alternative to love is a heart that is going to look at the world and be filled with resentment. And everybody has a narrative these days that makes resentment make sense. Uh, you know, we, you and I have friends who you, you, there's, there's, you know, people coming from whatever perspective they're coming from can kind of construe the world with real things, with real stories and real structures of oppression where they're, you know, feeling, you know, resentful about the kind of whole order of things. That makes sense. Yep. It's not shocking that you could live a life of complete resentment with real things to feel resentful about. Um, but it, it doesn't help. It's just going to eat you alive. You're going to wind up eating others alive. And it, it inevitably is just saying, the, the actual people in front of me, you know, it's like people very often are talking about like, I just want my community back or something like that. And it's like, those people are your community now. The actual yeah. faces in front of you are your neighbors. The people who are arguing with you at the local city council thing and screaming at each other like they want to kill each other are literally living in this. That actually is your civilization. You're kind of pretending yeah. that it, you're psychologically talking about it as though they're not, but they are. And, and, and you're actually supposed to be the active peacemaker within it. But to, to kind of tie that in with what you just said about love love of neighbor and of God in a world like this where everybody has reason to feel resentful, it's confusing, everybody is going to have reason to feel like they have, that they should be able to demand their own way about particular things. Um, uh, uh, uh. But it's actually the real love of God and neighbor, truly, truly loving God and truly, truly loving people that it that produces the clarity of mind just puts the heart or the heart places the mind in the precise precision the precise position to be precise about how to carve up that here's where i need to lay down my life here as well where a legitimate self-respect that i shouldn't give up demands that i say no 
that's totally legitimate. It's not, you know, we don't need to just lay over for things and that, that can yeah. be cowardice. Uh, that, that, that is, that isn't courageous, you know, just kind of self laceration that is often encouraged. Uh, nevertheless, but, but love is actually what gives you, what gives you that, 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 um, that, uh, that, uh, that clarity. It's interesting and to see how love in the first century is applied to the uncourageous. So when you, you know, flip through the pages of the New Testament, you read these epistles, you read a lot of the statements in the gospels, and you can just hear it from the perspective of a church that is often in a very vulnerable position where people are afraid, where it might be very costly to be a Christian. And there's a lot of call to courage, but there's also a lot of call to be sensitive to the weak, to build them up so that they're strong, uh, to, for the strong, hey, you that are strong, you guys that can handle it, go down to the weak, go down to the guys that can't handle it and help them, give them your strength, bear the burdens for each other, that sort of mm. thing. And I think one way to tell a good appeal to courage versus a not good appeal to courage is that righteous, the righteously courageous are not despising of the weak. The righteously courageous are uh, compassionate toward the weak and would 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 spend their courage on the raising up of those brothers rather than the creation of a rather than just be ashamed at them, which is really yeah. to be totally cowardly. That's totally cowardly to be ashamed of your weak brother. That's cowardice. Uh, uh, yeah. And then put yourself in this other space where you're building at that point a LARPy community of sub-Christian sub-Christendom. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that that makes a big that that's a big distinction. The, the really courageous look at the weak, they're compassionate, and their first gesture of heart is to help give them strength. Yeah. And I mean, you see this naturally in organized sports, for example. So I played, um, I played baseball, basketball, football when I was a young man, all the way up until junior high. And what you did was rally around your, your weak guy. So if you had a starting offensive line where you've got um, you know, 95% of them are doing their job, they're executing well, they're physically fit, they understand the plays. And then you got one guy who's got the potential, but he's just not really there yet. Um, you'll have the team encourage that player, because it's to the benefit of the team that the player gets stronger. Uh, if you do, if you move towards that player in a way that demeans them, um, that shames them that breaks them down and uh really creates uh you know a, a disharmony in the team unit then you're going to harm the whole team so it's not only it's not only that uh the courageous should look after the weak for the sake of the weak even though that is true mm. because that is what strong men do uh but it's also for the uh, sake of the of Christendom as a whole that you move towards the weak, um, and and you do it in a way that I think is persuasive. So persuasion is a key here, and I think if you can show the attractiveness of what it means to be strong in the Lord, strong in your faith, um, and to stand up for that which deserves to be stand, stood up for, to love that which is lovely, and to hate that which ought to be reviled in a way that doesn't um, create in their mind this uh, meme 
of a fictional character that exists in your mind, but they can actually uh, move towards it because it's the most natural thing to move towards. And this is the way the classics always understood thing. The will will naturally move towards that which is good. And even as Calvinists that believe in total depravity, we can affirm with the Apostle Paul that people are groping around in the dark looking for God. We're made in the image of God. God summons us, his image towards himself. And if you can display that image in a way uh, that analogously is representative of God, then people mm. will move towards you. Yes. Um, if you Jesus just says if, that, do your yeah. good works so that people glorify the Father who is in heaven. <laughs> yes. And this is the way that we should treat the weak among our ranks um, because it's good for them. God has designed it to work this way in his infinite wisdom, and it's good for Christendom. So if you find yourself in a position where you are constantly marginalizing the weak among us, you're working against the purposes of God's wisdom and you're undermining uh, the dynamics of, uh, of his authority. Um, so well, just not your, his authority. Your, your, oh, I'm sorry. Keep going. No, I was going to say I misspoke there. Not his authority, but of the kingdom of Christianity. Yeah. Because I think this your is just part of the game. I, you know, one doesn't want to be overly dramatic, but, you know, you might even say that's just a, you know, goes against the vibe of the entire metaphysics, you know, the structure of metaphysics and the cosmos, which is, you know, God's creation of the world out of nothing is, is in one way, quite literally him giving a share of his own being to what is less than himself. And then the incarnation is God kerplunking into finitude <laughs> to raise it up. I mean, you could, you did, you know, you'd have to qualify that, but, uh, you know, to raise it up into himself. And then he sends Christians to go kerplunk deeper. <laughs> you know, it's, mm. that, that's the whole thing is, uh, is toward the weak is God, God was this way toward the weak. And therefore you are this way toward the weak. And that says more about him because the cross and resurrection says more about God than any action that has ever been done of God. That he sent Jesus for that purpose is the most, is the loudest thing in a sense, you might say that God says about Himself in all of Scripture, uh, and in it, yeah. so, and at that point, it just becomes impossible for me to think this is, this is the way, the way to be courageous. And in fact, an, another another thing you can see there, you know, we were talking about, um, yeah, just a discomfort with the weak, which bespeaks less, I think, a virtue of courage, and bespeaks more a. And Bavink actually pointed this out in his own time that he saw this happening in Europe, a growing discomfort with the weak that he would see grow into to, to kind of fascism in Europe, I right. mean, which happened after he died, but he predicted it. And he predicted yep. it on precisely this theme, the, the, that discomfort with the weak. Uh, it, it, and would it, the other side of that is that it's just gonna, courage becomes pagan cathartic rage. Uh, you yeah. know, Joshua Mitchell pointed this out to us about uh, identity politics is that we've moved from a, uh, a world in which there really is an atonement so that we can bear with the weaknesses of others because it's all absorbed in the cross 
to a world where the, 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 reckoning, the reckoning of the social balance sheet, in a sense, has to be achieved through pagan cathartic rage. And it mm. seems to me that a lot of conservative Christian and even conservative Christian reform movements have all of the, all mm. of the smell of a mob uh, engaged in pagan cathartic rage out of, out of triggeredness by modernity. Yeah, that's a good point you bring up. And before we started recording, I, we were talking about I'm uh, about three quarters away uh, through um, uh, Lombardo's translation of the Iliad. Uh, you know, we've talked about mm. this before. I run a classical Christian program here in Florida, and uh, you can't do classical Christianity without or, or at least the classical project without the Iliad and the Odyssey and the Aeneid. These are staples and they're staples for a reason. Um, because there's resonance that sort of moves, uh, um, you know, trans-historical. It stands above uh, history. And this is, you know, like Jordan Peterson talks about this. Uh, Joseph Campbell, Hero with a Thousand Faces. There are just narratives that resonate with us as humans because we're all humans and we all have a similar experience um, because... There are just patterns in reality that we all conform to, to one degree or another, and that'll just be the way it is until uh, Jesus comes back. Um, but one thing I notice is there is such an emphasis on glory and honor um, and the defeat of the enemy for the glory of the name of, uh, you know, either Greece or, or uh, for, you know, the Trojan, um, the Trojan military. And the way that they talk about the enemy um, is brutal. Um, we're going to, you know, the the uh, the sort of pep rally speeches that are given throughout the the series of battles that are um, in the Iliad. It is literally like, let's kill them. The dogs will eat their innards, and they won't get a family burial. Uh, you know, this brutality, and I understand this tells us something about the nature of war. Um, and we just need to face that reality. War is hell. Um, and war is necessary at times. Um, and Christians have thought about this question very deeply. Uh, but to your point about the pagan cathartic rage, I think that a lot of people, when they hear the term courage, if they're acquainted with sort of classical literature, they can take that ethos of the uh, what's happening in the Iliad uh, and they can sort of try to transpose that into the modern day context and say this is the way that men should be courageous when and you've made this point it's precisely Christianity um, that gave us a structure of order and law of justice a definition of justice to where we can erect uh, institutions that can prevent those sorts of interactions from happening as much as we possibly can imagine to do that project right yeah. now. So now, that justice is not at the end of rage. You have to think of just war and you have to develop a whole set of kind of principles to offset the gut. You don't want the gut to be making the decisions. You want the gut to you want the gut to be carrying you through the action. <laughs> mm -hmm. That you need that for war, but uh, but you do not want the gut being the decision maker, and that takes yeah, a, 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 really a system of protections to prevent a, a society 
uh, which is going to kind of inevitably get into pagan cathartic rage. Exactly. Yeah. One one thing, and then I'll 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 no. throw it back to you real quick. But and I think that this is why it's important because you know you look back to if you look back towards Aquinas and Augustine, and you look in our tradition the Christian tradition, it has a lot to say about the life of the emotional life of humans. And uh, Lewis gets at this in the abolition of man also, but um, it's about a properly ordered life, which includes the emotions and the senses, right? Like we, we first just experience things through our senses in our emotions that then the intellect sort of grabs a hold of and discurf discursively works through. Um, and I think that if you allow yourself either on one side or the other to be imbalanced emotionally, and that could look like a call for everyone to grab their spear and, and do the, uh, you know, the Iliad war cry against the enemy, and it can look like hiding your head in the sand and just hoping that everything goes away so you don't have to face anything that's icky, then you're, you're both emotionally imbalanced. And Christianity gave us um, the fullest expression of what an ordered life looks like. Uh, it's the fruit of the spirit. And if, if we have, um, if we have an emphasis on properly ordered living, which includes your emotional life, then you will be less tempted to sort of fall into the ditch of the uh, pagan cathartic rage version of, 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 of masculinity and courage. And you will be less inclined to fall onto the other side of the ditch, which is just a bunch of soft men that don't know how to respond to controversy at all. So, this is really, I think, what we're talking about. This is us just talking about living a properly ordered life with good habits and a, and a full understanding of virtue. You know, I think that's just what we're trying to say. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's right. And maybe one thing that pings on that, you're talking about kind of the, almost this, this lost uh, map, this taxonomy of the human emotions and their interrelationships that are, really pretty thoroughly discussed in in the christian tradition like it's it's remarkable what profound psychologists yeah. uh exist in the christian tradition um yes uh, uh, one of the one of the i think kind of you know correlation causation but one of the correlated tendencies to all we're discussing uh is i think uh I perceive a, a lot of emphasis on men having self-control these days, which is yeah. right. Like the very, again, very, very, very needed emphasis. But it's it's interesting when I when I see guys that emphasize sort of a lack of emotional volatility, like you know, sort of look how self-controlled I am. I'm not emotionally volatile, like those other guys over there. And there's a lot of guys that talk this way about themselves, like really openly it's kind of weird honestly uh but but or like all oh, men should you know you know do this thing what's interesting is in a lot of those cases it, it, it's very clear to those in the cheap seats that like you're actually not self-controlled of your emotions you're actually just don't make contact with them you're actually the least controlled of your emotions it's sort of like as the alcoholic who who can't even be near a glass of wine without going crazy, the most in control of his alcoholism. In one sense, he's the least in control of his alcoholism. <laughs> yeah. And therefore he strategizes just not being near alcohol. 
uh, if, if your way of controlling your emotions is just to strategize not really being in contact with them or really giving them the play uh, that, that maybe they want to have, uh, that's not being in control of your emotions. And a lot of self-control out there uh, is actually a profound lack of self-control. It's it's actually, I so can't handle this that I just shut off my entire self from that side of existence. And you live a very self-controlled and quote, quote, non-volatile half existence, uh, and then call that maturity and call other men to it. And it's, I, I think, very, very, very dangerous, uh, very, yeah. very dangerous, actually. And it leads to these situations where like, it's not full loving hearts that are making these calls. It's half men that are making these calls and half men aren't distinguishing in that sense uh, that what, whoever you're calling enemy, if they wear a human face like unto your own and you read the New Testament, that is in principle a potential brother. And if your heart does not leap at that, if there's not a big, and I mean a big part of you that wants and desires and craves to stare at every human face you see as a potential sibling, as a potential friend, uh, then you that's just not the heart of the New Testament. And whatever you're yep. saying is courage, whatever you're calling all the other things is distorted. It has to pass through the portal of this before I can take it seriously as any version of courage that anybody should listen to. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, yes, that's exactly right, brother. And, and it's such an important thing to sort of get all the way down into the bones, what you just said, because otherwise we're just going to kill ourselves and then yep. we might as well just wrap it up and game over, whatever, who cares, burn it all down. It's over with. It's a, it's just a wrap. I think, um, so I agree with you. I think uh, there's also, so we see in the Bible, you know, Jesus says, go out, take, take a couple tunics, go to the town, speak the message, labor to win them to the kingdom. And there does become a point where it's like, this is no longer, this is no longer, I, I have discerned that I have been rejected harshly in enough times that I need to wipe the dust off my feet and move yeah. on to the next town. Yeah. However, if that move, the, the dust wiping off of the feet, is not preceded by an honest, genuine, uh, persuasive attempt to win them to the kingdom by exactly what you just said, noticing that this is a potential sibling, a uh, regal brother or sister given uh, the world to rule in co-labor with you, um, then you've already, you're, you're working outside of the bounds of the system mm -hmm. in which God has created for redemption to come. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like, well, at that point, why pray? Why access any of the means or, or, or take heed of any of the instructions of the Lord Jesus in any other way? you have you and that yeah. is the epitome of arrogance because what you're saying is i have discerned rightly from the five minutes that i've been on the facebook post that this person is swine and i have the pearls and i'm out of here because i'm not giving the swine pearls anymore yeah i mean you cannot honestly tell yourself that you're giving it a good faith effort right. to win a potential brother and I think we've gotten to the point that that's basically yeah. everyone. <laughs> what you said about the example of the apostles and sort of the shaking the dust off your feet passage in the, in the gospels, 
I was reading through Acts recently, and I think it would make a great book, a great study for somebody to kind of look at Paul's uh, Paul's evangelism practices in each town he goes to. So there's some synagogues he spends a couple weeks at. There's some places he's arguing kind of with philosophers for two years. So there's, there's, and even when he leaves, it's not as though he might say, okay, I've done as much as I can to persuade here. I'm done. But a lot of it is he's just moving on. And there's, I planted Apollos watered, right? It's not even that that community is now abandoned of Christians. It's this that Paul's job, he's a traveling itinerant preacher. Paul's job mm -hmm. is to do as much as he can in round one, and he does a lot. Uh, but then when there's kind of fixed positions, he leaves, and the long game is played by the local community, the local church that, you know, is going to remain in loving contact with their neighbors, and Paul gives the instructions, be this way to these people, be this way to those people, you know, there's right. there's all of that, all of that working together. Um, and one of the things that's just thick, you know, in Paul in the New Testament is just how, you know, I've been reading through the epistles again, and just the degree to which Paul is concerned about the reputation of the gospel. Just everything is framed around do it so that yeah. the mission of redeeming humanity and really which is the redemption of everything because we serve a redeeming God and the redemption of humanity is the redemption of a family. It's the redemption of a neighborhood in some way in as much as the, the, the love through the Holy Spirit shapes human interaction and that helps humans live in this world better <laughs> right yeah. uh, uh uh paul is in as much as it's possible and on you live at peace and that's really the the, the thing that's so interesting is that that you know jordan peterson said this once uh and i found it very profound that like it makes sense again it makes sense to freak out we live especially now honestly i don't think human beings are probably made to process the complexity of us of the civilization yeah. we went in our hardware is just frying the circuit board is frying i'm not a yeah. computer guy i'm probably getting it wrong and so peterson makes this this point that it, it makes a lot of sense again that people would kind of freak out in this world uh in fact uh, one of my favorite things he says is i'm always shocked in a real way honestly when i walk outside and i don't see fire on the horizon yeah. every day that i walk outside and it's not all burning down i really sincerely feel like a miracle is occurring <laughs> and there's something there's something of truth in that i mean yeah. common grace is 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 god's act it's his act to hold us above the abyss of disintegrating into the sin which would otherwise just disintegrate us to smithereens yeah. um, um but but the point there is is courage the real attainment of courage is not to see all of the things and then say, I'm going to go demand my way and win. Real courage is to make peace. Yeah. That is hard. And that does not mean you give up your self-respect, but it means you're the guy who goes into the world and actively makes peace, not at the mm -hmm. expense of the truth, but, but, but certainly at the expense of your just your desires on occasion. Um, yes. And I, and I think with the recognition, so that should always be the way we move. The Bible says this explicitly, right? Like to the best of your ability, live a quiet and peaceful life. That's what we're supposed to do. Blessed are the peacemakers, you know? Um, so this should always be our movement 
and we should not become frustrated because I think what happens, Joe, is that let's say I'm I, I'm I'm just energized by the Holy Spirit to go into my community and be the peace. I'm going to be the peacemaker. And I'm going to go around and I'm just going to love everyone and try to spread the fragrance of Jesus's love in my neighborhood and, and bring peace, right? God through me, bring peace. And then you get into the world and the world is hard and life is very hard and people are very complicated and we do insist on our way much more than I think we realize. Yep. And then our efforts become frustrated and our emotions again become imbalanced and we can then begin to as you said build resentment if our peacemaking um mm. mission is failing consistently and the good news is it doesn't matter right because we're not in the game of measuring how this cashes out into eternity into glory we are right. simply called to obey what god has given us to do in this life right and um if you become frustrated to the point that you're ready to jump on the you know um let's burn it all down and erect a uh you know christian monarchy again which you know it might not be that bad actually but but you know what i'm saying <laughs> uh, i do not endorse all the opinions on this program right, well, go ahead. right right <laughs> um but but i think a lot of people say that because it's like because then we could then we could kill this group of people and this group of people and usher in the kingdom and it's very progressive and sort of marxist actually uh to pursue a utopia but anyway if you get to the point where you are um frustrated at, that your peacemaking endeavor is failing and then you become resentful and you start to code everybody as immediately writing them this person is not worth my pearls any longer then you're out of the game and the devil has got a little hook in you and we don't want hooks in us from the devil um we want to be led by the spirit so it really is yeah it really is a call towards an emotionally balanced life um, that rests in the providence of God, in the goodness of God, in the wisdom of God, and that he honors uh, his church because his church are the, way, are the means through which the kingdom of heaven comes into the world. So just be the church um, and yeah. do that in wise ways. So, Yeah, I think one, one maybe final thing I'd, I'd, I'd mention is the i think another measure of discovering kind of legitimate versus larpy courage you might say is its relationship to accusation because the only way i can think of to survive yeah. what you just said there's all these ditches to find right there's all these ditches to find on all the sides and who who among us is adequate to avoid it all and this of course right it gets back to you know we, we recall love is not just a system that we apply uh you know like we you know we got a, a computer manual or something like that right. love is ultimately a person and both the bible and aristotle understood this how do mm. i know especially when it's complicated especially when there's a lot of moving parts how do you know how to love within that find the greatest lover find mm. the person who loves the best there's your guide. You can memorize the things, but it only gets you so far because you're confused a lot of the time. 
find the man who loved and look at him. And so there is a little, what would Jesus do? A yes, little brother. bit that gets involved in there. Sorry, guys. Yeah. I don't mean to, like, I don't want to get canceled. Yes. Yes. We should <laughs> make all... bracelets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I bet those would sell. Yes. Uh, uh, but accusation. I think what I see a lot mm. of the time when I see courage that I don't trust very much, and, and this goes in all directions. I've seen this on the radical left. I've seen it on the radical light, right? But it's the, when accusations fly from mouths and you get the sense, oh, that, that person doesn't obviously care about mm. whether those words are true. This person kicking this person down in public, this public figure pointing at that public figure, they're not actually trying to understand that person in their own words clearly. That person isn't a real person to them. That person is a type. There's a script of what that person is. And all that it becomes is, do you see how this person is the orc? in my Lord of the Rings narrative right. and that you need to be Aragorn and pick out your sort of truth and go stab the orc. And the, the entire apparatus of a genius intellect, in fact, can be a spell cast upon you to get you to frame another human that way. And that is frankly very scary because the accuser is the devil. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, and I'm, you do need to accuse sometimes. There are times for accusation, but I, I think you can, you can largely tell when it's like, okay, you still have to pass through the portal of believe all things, hope all things, love doesn't seek his own patient, kind, gentle. It, like, you, it doesn't mean you can't get to the other side and still sure. have an accusation. But if it doesn't pass through the basic filters of mm. basic, basic Christian regeneracy, yeah then we're just larping and that's not the martyrdom we seek that's not the courage we want please don't be courageous <laughs> right 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 if that's what you think courage is yes don't if that's don't, you, don't don't yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. don't yeah, don't right. do that uh yeah. uh which is you know i'm not what am i i'm not here to be holier than now i mean i mean like i i need i need to be told to be courageous sometimes i can be the coward on the other hand i can also be larpy in my yep. courage you know so it's not you know i'm not none of this is uh uh you know something i think of because i think i see it a lot but it's also something i think i can see a little bit because it's me yeah <laughs> it's also me. And exactly and yes that's a good point because it's me too and we're not disinterested observers of the times. Like we don't sit up upon a perch of a mountain and look at the rest of everyone and make comments about the things that we are not part of, but yet we observe. These are our brothers. Uh, These are our brothers. Yes. We love them. And you, yes, and you and I have our own weaknesses and our own yeah. strengths and we overplay our hands all the time. Um, and that's just this side of glory. Yeah. Um, but I think if we can at least, like you said, move through the basics of Christianity, um, I mean, that's all we're trying to do. And, and if anything, I tell my kids at school, you know, when I teach, there's this reciprocal thing with teaching where words flow out of my mouth. I don't think about the words. They just sort of flow and then they come back and hit me. And I'm teaching myself when I, when I, you know, mm. when I'm talking a lot of times. And so this is the way I think that God has designed humans 
to grow and understand each other and the world and refine us. And so you and I are really just entered into a dialogue because we feel these things inside of us and we see it in other people. Mm -hmm. So we're inviting you to be Christ good Christians with us as much as we can possibly <laughs> be a good Christian. Uh, <laughs> as much as we can add two, two cents of spiritual encouragement from the, uh, from the admittedly uh, uh, impoverished spiritual bank account belonging yes. to each of us. <laughs> yes, precisely. Uh, yes. Yes. Well, I think, I think that was a good conversation, brother. So thank you for chatting. Um, you guys can always follow us on Facebook. Uh, we've been out of the loop for the last, uh, the last couple of weeks, but we're back and we're going to try to be more consistent. Life is just busy. It's busy for everyone. Um, but head over to davenantinstitute.com and check out Davenant Institute. You can also uh, go to the YouTube page and find all of our, the Davenant Institute YouTube page, check out all of our previous stuff. We're on iTunes and all the podcast catchers. Um, but uh, Joe, I love you, brother. Love you too, man. And we will see you next time. See ya.